Know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Episode 2. The dream was alive and well and burning like a firestorm in my gut. In America, you can get anything you want with enough money. The only way to have enough money is to be in your own business. I will start an auto repair business. Those were my thoughts after I had recovered from the crisis experience where I had released my fears and all the programming from the church. So at the ripe old age of 25, I formed my plans to start an auto repair business. Everyone told me I was crazy and gave me all the reasons not to do it. There's a recession going on, you have a young family to feed, and on and on, everyone except my dad. So one hot July night, dad called to say he had found a garage in a back alley of a small street in northeast Philly near where we lived. I picked him up in my 55 Chevy and we drove over to meet the owner, Mr. Petrucci. 50 bucks a month, he said. I'll take it, I replied without a moment's hesitation, and Schmidt Auto Repairs was born that night. The garage was barely big enough to fit two cars inside, so I wiggled the first car through the narrow opening using a floor jack. I moved in my toolbox, floor jack, creeper, drop light, and with $250 cash reserve, I was in business. Now the time had come to get to work, to get the work into my new business. I put the word out at church, places of business where friends and family worked, and by visiting gas stations and other places of business. I was willing to do anything at ridiculously low prices to get started. It was brutally hard work, but nothing could stop me. Bob Proctor said, you can have anything you want. You just have to decide what you want and do everything it takes to do it. I worked hard night and day. As the months progressed, most days I gave up. Maybe they're right. This is crazy. Who am I to think I can own a successful business and live the life of my dreams? And the next morning, without fail, I awoke with fresh energy and resolve. I will never give up. I can and will do this. Word on the wall rang while I was eating a sandwich and doing a wheel alignment. You should get a job. You're a good mechanic, and you have three little daughters to feed. It was my Aunt Doris booming into my ear. That was it. There's no turning back now. I will show her and all the other doubters. I made a bold move soon and hired my first employee, Rich Croy, Bonnie's nephew. Now Schmidt Auto Repairs was feeding two families. Dad wanted to come on board. He was my biggest supporter and my biggest ally, my only ally, really. So we found a larger building for rent a couple miles away for 600 bucks a month. I hired Dad, then my two brothers, then a body repairman named Bill, and other families, members, and friends. And now Schmidt Auto Repairs was feeding 12 families. And then I hired Uncle Wilbur, Aunt Doris's husband. I have to admit to a great satisfaction in proving her wrong. Now her husband worked for me at Schmidt Auto Repairs. My persistence had paid off. Never give up on your dreams. Dad asked me a question one day in the middle of the floor at the shop. I looked away for a moment, and then looked him in the eye and gave him my decision. You know something I noticed about you, he said? You're not afraid to make a decision, and if it's wrong, you'll make it right. And that was a revelation to me. You must be a decision maker to be a success in business and life, and I had instinctually 
realize there is no wrong decision. If it turns out to be not the best decision, you can learn from it, make a correction, and move on. I had another revelation in that moment. I'm in the people business, I realized. All the hard work to learn how to repair cars was useful, but dealing with people is my main function now. And I made a conscious choice to focus on developing those skills from that point forward. Schmidt Auto Repairs was feeding 12 families, but it was operating hand to mouth. I had no cash reserves, and some weeks I had to float checks to make payroll. The long hours and stress of handling employees, customers, and insurance companies were taking a toll on me. My employees did not share my vision. One night I had a meeting in my upstairs office after work, and I shared my bigger vision with my younger employees, where each one of them could play a larger role. I would add other shops, gas stations, more businesses that they could each manage and become part owner. And I also shared my personal goal of a horse farm. Only later did I find out that they ridiculed me after I had left the room. Only Dad shared my vision, and his health was failing. A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country. Jesus Christ, Mark 6, 4. Literal translation, you got no credibility with your family, friends, and co-workers. They will rarely recognize your talents and greatness. Elvis's father Vernon told him to put away that guitar, son, and get a real job. So Elvis went on to become the king of rock and roll. Not comparing myself to Elvis, certainly, but know that you have greatness lurking inside, waiting for you to engage it, and your family and friends will probably not be supportive. Go for it anyway. Anytime you step into your larger vision, you're going to encounter challenges. That's just a given. One day, while up in my office, I heard screaming. I looked out the window and down into the shop floor, and there was Bill in flames. I rushed down and helped Dad smother the flames with a welding blanket. He had been trying to pour, start a car that hadn't run for a long time. He was pouring gas into the carburetor. It backfired, and he threw the gas onto himself, and he became a flaming torch. I grabbed the keys to Dad's Ford station wagon, pulled into the shop, and Dad helped Bill into the passenger seat. I drove like a madman to Frankfurt Hospital, Bill screaming along the way, please, God, let me die. While I passed cars on the right and the left and even drove over to the sidewalk in places in my rush to get Bill relief from his pain. I pulled right up to the emergency room door of the hospital and helped Bill out of the car. A doctor saw us as we entered the door and pointed to a room. They loaded Bill onto a table, ripped off his shirt, and got a shot of morphine into his arm. Bill immediately relaxed and even smiled, and he says, I'm going to be all right. And that's when I found out Schmidt Auto Repairs did not have insurance coverage. I blamed it on my accountant, Mr. Gold, and he blamed it on me. Fortunately for me, Bill had Blue Cross, which covered his medical expenses. Some of the burns were third degree and required skin grafting. I took over Bill's duties as body repair technician and continued to pay his salary. Bill was a tough guy and a fair man, and he came back to work in a few months, long before he should have. Shortly after Bill returned, one night while sitting in my living room chair, my wife Bonnie started a conversation that helped turn a page in my life. You should give up the business and get a job, she said. 
The life drained out of me as I processed our words. I had been putting my heart and soul into building the business that would give me financial freedom and provide her with good lifestyle, and now she wanted me to give it up and get a job. We had been on different tracks for several years, but I really thought we could continue as man and wife and to keep our family together. We still had love and respect for each other. So I had hired a young woman to run the office at Schmidt Auto Repairs. Alana was pretty, a talented artist, and interested in my business. She created a horse painting for the office wall, selected office furniture, and took over the phone calls and the paperwork. It felt so good to have somebody genuinely interested in my business. I told myself any personal involvement was taboo. That decision stood firm until one night I returned to paint the office desk and filing cabinet. I had just returned from a week's vacation in the Keys where I was trying to get a fresh start with Bonnie and shift my business into high gear. Alana insisted on coming back to help. So we worked until around midnight and celebrated with a drink from a bottle of scotch in the office drawer. And we were both covered in dust. And then I gave in to an impulse. It was just a kiss, but I had opened a door I didn't know how to close. I was torn between doing right by my family or having a passionate relationship with a woman who shared and supported my dreams. Alana was all in. In fact, she was relentless. After a few months, I opted for my family. I left a note for Alana, hoping she would understand that I needed to be with my family and do right by them. She showed up at the door that night. I'm pregnant, she exclaimed with a look that told me my life was about to change in a big way. My world had just turned inside out and upside down, and that's when I made the most difficult decision of my life, the one that haunted me for most of the rest of my days. I left my family. Your dad is leaving us for another woman, Barney said to our two oldest daughters who were sitting on the steps to the upstairs and peering out from between the spokes of the railing. I can never forget the look in their eyes and wondering how my decision was affecting them. The vision of my two daughters peering out from me, out at me and looking from the upstairs steps haunted me for many years. I can still see that as if it was today. But I pressed on, but some of the fire had leaked out of my belly. I continued on by the sheer power of will and determination. Alana worked on payroll on a Friday as I sat at my desk pondering the future. The phone rang and I let Alana answer it. It's Kurt, she said, and handed me the phone. My heart leaped. I hadn't heard from Kurt in months since he told me he would be away working on a special project. We had discussed Kurt becoming a financial partner in Schmidt Auto Repairs. Kurt was in the business of buying badly wrecked cars, bringing them to my shop to be repaired and selling them for a profit. Kurt's dad, a successful dentist, financed his projects. I never had financial backing and the idea of having a smart, connected partner with money seemed like just what I needed to move forward. And then he had disappeared. Are you available tomorrow so we can talk in private? I have something important to discuss with you, but it's for your ears only. I assured Kurt I would be at the office the next day and that we could talk in private. All that night and into the next morning, I wondered what Kurt was working on and how I fit in. 
The disappointment and resentment I had been feeling toward Kurt since he had disappeared dissolved the instant he shook my hand and told me how good it was to see me again. Kurt was not too tall, muscular, with dark curly hair, and most notably, he exuded a mysterious charisma and a calm confidence unlike anyone I had ever met. We walked slowly through the paint shop and into the paint mixing room while Kurt fired questions at me, questions I had never heard before and had never even considered. How much money do you need to make to make you free? My mind rushed for an answer. I actually hadn't thought it through. I grabbed the number out of the air. A hundred thousand, I said. I didn't want to scare Kurt off with too high a number. A hundred thousand dollars was a lot of money in 1972. It seemed like enough to finance my dream lifestyle going forward. I could take care of Bonnie and the girls and maybe even have my horse farm. You can make a lot more than a hundred thousand in just a few months, he replied. My head was spinning. I just leaped from pondering my next move to hundreds of thousands of dollars in the next few months. I tried to digest his words and what that would mean. Kirk continued with the questions. What's really important to you? What do you really want? Well, no one had ever asked me what I really wanted. Church had only told me what to do and what not to do. So I opened up like a faucet turned on and shared with Kurt my dream to be free, to live each day as I chose, exempt of the need to pursue money. I longed for fulfillment, a self-sufficient farm or a ranch with horses. I was disgusted with my fellow Americans who seemed to be deteriorating into complacent, unmotivated, and self-serving people. Do you believe in predestination or do you believe in free will and choice? The church had always provided their answers to such matters. I, I, my brain was spinning. Then he got to the million-dollar question that opened the door to his mission that would bring me hundreds of thousands of dollars in a few months. What do you know about drugs? The truth is, I knew almost nothing about drugs then, only that I wanted nothing to do with them. I never drank even a drop of alcohol until I was well into my 20s. Drugs were part of a world I knew nothing about, either legal or illegal. Kurt proceeded to describe a substance that was currently in vogue with doctors and lawyers. He said this particular drug was technically illegal, but he thought anyone caught in a first offense would likely get probation. Yes, there were risks, but he was looking for a chemist who would be isolated and protected. I would like you to be the chemist. There will be three partners, you, me, and a guy who will distribute the product and get the money. You will be the key and you will be protected from exposure. I told Kurt I had to think about this, that I knew nothing about drugs and I would need to discuss the matter with Alana. So that night, Alana and I shared a six pound lobster at a restaurant in New Jersey and discussed Kurt's proposition. I guess it's okay if the money is going to be used for a good purpose, Alana agreed, as I refilled her glass with chilled Chablis. Kurt had uh, added that the pharmaceutical companies were producing more of this product than is needed for the medical system, and some of it is going into the illegal market. He said that much of the street product being manufactured is low quality and dangerous. We would be making a quality product. He asked me if I knew which drug he was talking about. He said it began with the letter M. I had no clue. He went on to tell the story of Joe Kennedy and how Joe had made his fortune during Prohibition with 
illegal alcohol and that this was no different. Kurt was convincing and I was open to making my fortune. I called Kurt the next morning. I'm in, Kurt. The next day, a U-Haul truck showed up at the shop and unloaded boxes of chemicals and equipment. Thank you for listening to episode two of Know the Truth and the Truth Shall Set You Free. In the next episode, I will share the struggles of learning to manufacture this drug, how after months of trial and error, I produced a high quality product, and how I expanded the operation to become a major meth manufacturer, and what happened when the money flowed in. This is Les Schmidt. Stay tuned for episode three.